This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, when approaching the text of the Bible, it's so important, I think, to keep this in mind. Biblical authors think, not so much in a linear way, but in a poetic and associative way. They follow, if you want to put it this way, the logic, not of an argument, but of a poem or a dream. Stay with that last image of a dream. Why is it that dreams often strike us as, at the same time, crazy and oddly meaningful? I mean, why is the people from Freud on have tried to interpret dreams? I mean, long before Freud, go back to the Bible. You've got Joseph interpreting dreams. I mean, if someone's just babbling, if someone babbling incoherently, we're not going to try to interpret that. But yet we try to interpret our dreams, even though they strike us as crazy on the surface level. Well, I think it's because though they don't proceed logically or linearly, one event following reasonably from another. Often dreams just seem, you know, they don't make any sense at that level. Nevertheless, we sense in them a meaningfulness. A meaningfulness through the clustering of symbols, the clustering of images and associations. Poetry often works that way too, doesn't it? You read a poem, you say, well, it doesn't make sense. It's not clear like a journalistic account. Well, of course not, because poets don't write that way. Poets tend to associate symbols and images, and the meaning emerges from that association. You see it, for example, in Dante all the time, or in Shakespeare. Just recently, I saw a production of Richard III, and uh, afterwards I sat down and read the play and then read some commentaries on it. And you see, for example, in that play, Shakespeare clustering images of cloud and light and shadow. And the meaning of the play often emerges precisely through this association. Same thing, of course, with uh, T.S. Eliot, probably the greatest poet of the 20th century. When you read one of Eliot's poems, you're kind of expected to know all of Western literature because he's constantly alluding to Shakespeare and Dante and Homer and everybody else. Well, that's the way poets write. It's the way dreams proceed. It's the way dreams mean. Well, with this principle in mind, let's turn to the readings for this highly charged fourth Sunday of Advent. We hear first from the prophet Micah. Now, last week we heard from Zephaniah. Micah is another one of these minor prophets. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. He lived in the land of Judah, that southern region around Jerusalem. Like all the other prophets, Micah decries the corruption of the nation. 
He puts special stress, by the way, on injustice to the poor. Isaiah imitates him that way. And he then predicts, as all the prophets do, that God would cleanse Israel and then restore it. We saw something very similar last week in Zephaniah. Now Micah says this restoration would happen through a messianic figure, the Mashiach, the anointed one. And Micah tells us this Mashiach would come from Bethlehem. Listen. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too small to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Okay. When we hear of Bethlehem, we think, naturally enough, of Christmas and of the Christ child in the manger. But, but, put yourself back now in the 8th century B.C. when Micah was writing. When he said Bethlehem, what did people at that time think? What images, symbols, figures would have clustered around the symbol of Bethlehem? Well, I'll tell you, they would have thought of King David. Remember now, as we go into the biblical world, the prophet Samuel came to the little town of Bethlehem in order to see Jesse because he heard from God that one of Jesse's sons should be anointed, Messiah again, should be anointed as king. And so in the famous scene, the sons of Jesse come before Samuel, one by one, even though they're impressive, handsome, powerful figures, Samuel says, no, he's not the one. No, no, he's not the one. And all the sons come before Samuel, and no, none of these is the one that God wants. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, there's the youngest, but he's out tending the sheep. This, of course, was David. Samuel anointed him in Bethlehem, and it says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. The shepherd boy became the shepherd of his people Israel. Once David had come of age, he consolidated his power and established his capital at the old Jebusite city of Jerusalem. He would have known it. It wasn't far at all from Bethlehem. If you go today to Jerusalem, it's only a stone's throw to Bethlehem. Well, David determined that Jerusalem would be the political center of the nation and, more importantly, the religious center of the nation. To accomplish this, David arranged for the Ark of the Covenant to be brought into his new holy city. Now, allow the associations to continue. We've gone from Bethlehem to David to Jerusalem and now to the Ark. The Ark, of course, was that box that contained the remnants of the manna that the children of Israel ate in the desert after the Exodus, and it contained pieces of the shattered tablets of the Ten Commandments. For centuries, the Israelites carried this ark with them. They saw it as containing, in almost a literal sense, the presence of God. 
That's why they brought it into battle. That's why it was used when Jericho was conquered. They worshiped before it. They guarded it with their lives. Well, David brings this ark into Jerusalem so that it could become the center of Israelite life. In a scene wonderfully described in the Bible, David dances with reckless abandon before the ark as it's brought into the holy city. So delighted is he to be in the presence of his Lord. Beautiful scene. Imagine it. David there in front of all the people and he's dancing recklessly with great abandon before the Lord. The priests who would later serve in the temple built by David's son Solomon would imitate the great king in their prostrations, their prayers, their gestures, their songs. Think of all the liturgy of Israel as a kind of repetition of David's great dance in the presence of the Lord. All of Israelite worship, in some ways, is summed up in David dancing before the ark. Okay. Friends, I took you on this tour because I think, and the church wants us to think, All these associations should be in mind as we read the gospel. All these associations were in the mind of a first century Jew as he read the book of the prophet Micah and heard of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too small to be among the clans of Judah, but from you shall come forth one who is to rule my people Israel. Now, the gospel for today, taken from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we hear that Mary enters the house of Elizabeth, her cousin. She was also the wife of Zechariah, who was a priest of the Holy Temple. Mary is, of course, pregnant, and so she's carrying within her the Christ child. Now, who is this baby? Keep in mind, Luke, like all the other evangelists, is writing for an audience that's both Christian and non-Christian, but he's trying to convince his reader that this Jesus should be the center of their lives, that this Jesus is the Son of God. What's the clue in this story? The clue is in the child who is in Elizabeth's womb. And we hear that he leaps in his mother's womb when he hears the sound of Mary's voice. Who is he? You see how a first century Jew wouldn't have missed this. John the Baptist in his mother's womb is David who is dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. Do you see? Luke is telling us that Mary is the true Ark of the Covenant. She is the true bearer of the sacred presence. John is the new David, dancing before the Ark. The Ark that the Israelites carried around for centuries the ark 
that eventually found its way into David's city, the ark that was the focus of all the worship of the temple for centuries, the ark that was ensconced in the Holy of Holies that the high priest alone could see once a year was but a foreshadowing of the ark to come. The womb of the virgin in which the true presence of God found its abode. I think, friends, as we enter into the dream of the biblical world, as we read this exquisite poetry of the Bible, where every image and every idea and every word calls out to every other one, where we're meant to attend to these clusterings of meanings, we're meant to hear Bethlehem Ephrathah, which makes us think of David, which makes us think of his dance before the ark. All of that conduces to this point where we recognize the true ark of the covenant, the true place of worship, the true presence of the Lord found in the womb of this Virgin Mary. What a wonderful preparation now for Christmas. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, the church readies us to recognize that same Mary as the ark. And friends, what do we do as we take in this overwhelming truth? What do we do as we stand ready before the true ark of the covenant? We do what David did. We do what the infant John the Baptist did. We dance. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers every day, everywhere.